Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Connell. It is Tuesday, February, uh, February, September 19, 2023. A fresh new podcast. you got to have some grace there, Mary. I've been up since 5 a.m. Absolutely. <laughs> Mary Danielson is back at the mic. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. Yeah, well, you know, I, there's a uh, Laurel and Hardy skit out there, and, and Stan Laurel says, September, October, and no wonder. So. <laughs> yeah. Definitely one of those days. We got yeah. uh, some uh, spiritual warfare going on with the technology. So in Jesus' name, everything goes yeah. well today. Yeah. Yes. Uh, good morning, everyone. I have a short announcement first. On Friday, I mentioned a pride slash drag event coming to De Pere this Friday and Saturday at the fairgrounds, the NEW Pride event. And we encouraged people to pray. Well, we received an email here at the station about an impromptu prayer and worship event happening at the fairgrounds. Also, on Saturday at 11 a.m., it's called SOS, Saving of Souls, Rescuing Kids from Grooming and Evangelizing the Lost. Speakers, music, prayer time, you know, it's great to see people pushing back against the dark. And if you can't be there, um, pray for everyone involved. Pray that, uh, you know, a lot of these events are here to stay. They've been going on for years, but we can pray. So um, we can certainly do that. So before I introduce our guest, Carl Teichrib, and I hope we can keep the signal today, um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Psalm 145, 1 through 7. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we lift up our eyes to you. We have no one in heaven but you, and we thank you and we praise you simply for who you are, and we ask that you'd help us draw closer to you and farther and farther away from this futile and dying world with each passing day. We lift up this ministry and conversation to you, and that by your Holy Spirit uh, we could bring glory to your name in these latter days. We lift up Carl to you and ask for continued protection, opportunities to contend for the faith with the power that you have given all of us, your church, for the building up of the body. Bless his family and keep them in good health in Jesus' name. Carl Teichrub is my guest today. He's a Canadian-based researcher, writer, and lecturer focusing on the paradigm shift sweeping the Western world, and it is indeed, including the challenges and opportunities faced by Christians. Over the years, he's attended a range of internationally significant political, religious, and social events in his quest to understand the forces of transformation. I call Carl a researcher's researcher, a boots-on-the-ground kind of guy, and it's great to welcome him back to stand-up. He's been busy this summer traveling to Burning Man and also the Parliament of World Religions in Chicago. And these are not just empty symbolic events, but they're very much pushing the boundaries of global transformation. Good morning, Carl. 
Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Great. You're a busy guy. Uh, Before we dive into Burning Man, which I have been looking at for many, many years, I'm so anxious to get your take on that. Um, You have a book called The Game of Gods, and this book, uh, just Game of Gods, the book lays out a groundwork um, for uh, your ongoing research on the fast changing nature of Western civilization, really replacing the Judeo-Christian worldview with a paganistic paradigm with the goal of a global oneness. Carl, what is the motivation behind this uh, synergistic thing that's going on? And, and is it across the board in every single layer of life that they're, they're trying to make a lot, a lot of changes? Well, that, that's an interesting question because as you dive into this subject, you realize it's politics religion, culture, there's even a technological element to it. And it, it is this, this sense that we have to move towards a unified planet, one world, we are global citizens, we are now working for Mother Earth, that becomes our new meaning and our new purpose. And along the way, with no surprise, the, the Judeo-Christian perspective, mm-hmm. the uh, John fourteen six understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way, uh, no longer fits, you are not welcome at the global table. Mm. What is interesting, Mary, is when you start to unpack this from all of its different dimensions, it really uh, appears very quickly to be an alternative salvation message. Mm. And it's man's attempt to say, we will bring heaven to earth, we will be the ones who bring peace, we usher in our new order, uh, we can be our own gods. We are literally playing games of gods, and we are trying to build heaven in our own image right here on earth. And so when I'm saying that, I'm actually, I mean that. Uh, I have been to so many of these events, and and specifically the Parliament of World Religions in 2018, the closing statements uh, recognize, openly recognize that we are working for the salvation of the earth and the Mm -hmm. salvation of humanity. So when I'm saying it's an alternative salvation message, it literally is Mm -hmm. that. So it's so important sometimes that we, because we have a tendency in the Christian community to say, well, it's not affecting us, it's not a part of our world. Mm. Meanwhile, it's shaping your culture, it's shaping your communities, it's even impacting your church. And what it is, is man's attempt to say, we will build, uh, we will build our own unity, and we will build our own heaven on earth, we will be our own saviors. That's essentially the bottom line. Wow. And and the blurring of distinctions, what's interesting to me is it's all about diversity, and yet doesn't this go against any form of diversity whatsoever? We're talking about even educationally, you know, economically we're becoming one, a, a sort of a group think, um, and gender, doesn't gender fit into this? I mean, talk about blurring every single line imaginable. Um, right. Where does, how does diversity fit into this? Because, it, but it must be like, I don't know, a different definition? <laughs> well, you know, the, the version of diversity is you can be diverse. In fact, they celebrate diversity. Nevertheless, the diversity has to fit within a uniform or a unifying package. Okay. So you can be as diverse as ever, so long as your fundamental worldview, your core position, remains grounded in the same as their own mm. position. So you can have this unity in diversity. And, uh, and as long as you're all agreeing that this is now your, your primary principle, your primary uh, purpose, whether that's to save the climate or save Mother Earth yeah. or to come together as one humanity, 
that's that becomes the umbrella, and then underneath that umbrella, you can fit all this diversity. In mm-hmm. fact, they they acknowledge and accept and and push that. Of course, if all of a sudden you're bringing a message that challenges their core position, mm-hmm. well, they're not diverse enough or inclusive enough to want to underneath the umbrella anymore. Right. Right, and you and I do not fit under that umbrella. Uh, you mentioned something about you know we know Satan is the god of this world, and that there's a there's a, a oneism, and then there's twoism. And I found this real interesting because there really are only two worldviews, right? And so, um, what what is the difference between oneism and twoism, and what what drum is the world marching to? I think we already know that, but I never heard this before. So, can you explain that? Oh, absolutely. And I give credit to, to Dr. Peter Jones okay. of uh, Truth Exchange Ministry. He's the one who who really helps to, to flesh out this idea mm. of oneism versus twoism. Oneism is, simply put, the idea or the paradigm that God, man, and nature are all intrinsically the same, that at the core of every one of those realms, there is a commonality. There really is no separation between creation and creator, Mm. uh, that we share the same essence across the board. That is the dominant position today, no question. Uh, Even from an atheistic perspective, which says there is no God, ultimately when you you peel back the layers, you realize that it's man claiming that there is only man, and there is only material, and that there is only creation and no creator. Uh, but it, it, it has this blending effect. It, it, this is really the, the foundation of Eastern mysticism. It's the right. foundation of, of occultism, uh, Wicca. It, it really is this grounding in the sense that, that we're all one. It's oneness. Mm-hmm. The biblical position, however, is different. It's not dualism, this, uh, the idea of equal light and equal darkness, right. equal good and equal bad. Mm-hmm. No, it's not that. It's actually... Two-ism, that is God separate, and then creation. So God is an independent, separate personality, a separate being who creates, but the creation and the creator don't share the same essence. Mm-hmm. We're not God. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And so there's that distinction is extremely important. It is. It is, because how you answer that question really determines so so much of your life, you know, your ethics, your morality, our government, you know, you name it. Even gender. Your, gender, absolutely. And that's kind of why I read that scripture this morning from Psalm 145. You know, God is holy, you know, and there's a forever and ever. His greatness is unsearchable. And you can't, you cannot, it's one or the other, right? You cannot cross those right. lines. And 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 so um, religion, which is, you know, how man thinks of God, is man's relationship to God, uh, and then from that flows philosophy, like you say, and then that just means man understanding reality. And then philosophy, then your art and culture flows from that, and then, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is nothing more than the expressions of reality. So it's really, um, that. Inf- then that informs your worldview and your politics. Very, very, very interesting, and it, it's a lot like what's going on today, the one versus the two. So I really appreciate that definition. Uh, so now, yes, you know, go ahead. Yep, it, it's a simple definition, but it's not simplistic. It, it, right. it you know, it it lives itself out right now in, in the cultural conflict that we see uh, taking shape, right? You know, literally in our backyard and yeah. sometimes right in our living room. Yeah. Yes, Game of Gods is the book. Very, very interesting. Uh, now they want to tear down the culture um, to reimagine it and rebuild it to fit with this oneism. 
and sort of the so the Judeo Christian structure is being dismantled as well, uh, because you know true evangelicals we're in the way of everything, right? And um, uh, so I, I guess I want to dive in right here to your trips this summer, Burning Man in Nevada. You know, to, it looks to us like a sort of a hippie Woodstock 2.0, but that is just oversimplifying as well. That's not really what it is, is it? Could you explain to us what is Burning Man? Oop, did we lose him? Yes, but it was a good question. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking about it. Yep, he was disconnected. Perfect. So we'll see what happens if he can reconnect. Okay. Yes, I've been studying these transformational festivals for a long time, and I don't want to get ahead of him here, but First um, um, John 5.19 says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And I've quoted that many times uh, here uh, on the podcast, but it really, really is true. And as we study these things deeper and deeper, we can see that. Um, and transformational festivals are a fascinating cultural kind of event. They are growing exponentially around the world, and it's an opportunity for people to go and be come together as community and leave everything behind and work on this sort of um, deconstructing their lives, deconstructing their their minds, their their focus, everything, and to actually become something different. They're at practicing, I guess, this sort of transformation, um, but they are appearing on every continent around the world. Um, and like I said, they resemble a sort of a Woodstock 2.0, uh, including, I think, the demographic. Uh, but I think uh, Carl has joined and, us and again. Are you back with us? I am. I am. Also, I went click. <laughs> and uh, it all went dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't, boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were. I was just sort of uh, focusing a little on transformational festivals and, and when they got underway. Mm. And can you tell us about Burning Man? I've always been real interested in that one because it, uh, it strikes me as sort of the mothership of these transformational festivals. It is, really is the uh, kind of the sharp edge of the spear. Hmm. So Burning Man has been in existence since 1986. And oh, wow. To, to the early 1990s, it was it was small in relationship to what it is now. Uh, I don't believe the founder, Larry Harvey, ever expected it back in the 1980s to become what it is today. So today, of course, you're now looking at an event that attracts between 75 to 80,000 people. I think this year we had 73,000. That was a little bit less than other years. and And it is really a crossroads of sorts between... Uh, culture and rethinking what culture looks like, uh, what what religion and philosophy, how it interplays with culture. So a lot of people think that Burning Man is a single event. It's not. It's it's a a, a large banner under which hundreds and even thousands of events and interactions are happening uh, across a full week of events. So it started. Uh, it started this year on August the 27th, and it ended on September the 4th. That's when it was supposed to end, but because of the rain, it got pushed back for a couple of days uh, before everything uh, was wrapped up. Wow. So uh, you, you can end up going to workshops and lectures from, from leading uh, figures in the, in the world of psychedelics or, or religion, uh, I was at a workshop with a Republican insider talking about building left-right coalitions. Mm. So it's not mm. just simply the wild party everybody thinks it is. Yeah. It's, it's really a proving ground 
to take a look at how to engage in social change. And you call them open source experiments in social engineering. That's a great oh, definition. Is. Yeah, it, it is. In fact, there is an open acknowledgement that what's taking place is social engineering. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot, who just go for the party, and of course, that's what it's known for. Mm. Uh, and it is a a raw, very raw place. It is clothing optional. There is, uh, in terms of, of of sensuality and sexuality, the place is very, um, it's it's graphic and very very raw that way. And at the same time, it is a place where all of this is being experimented with mm-hmm. from from building new governance structures, new social structures. It's a place that Silicon Valley uh, calls their own. In fact, Elon Musk, I think it was in 2014, which with, with the HBO special Silicon Valley, he chastised the producers of the HBO show for not understanding Silicon Valley because they had never been to Burning Man. Wow, that's interesting. So, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so there is more going on than meets the eye. Uh, a great a great example, one that sh- that should blow people away, is if you use Google, and probably most people listening to the program uses Google. The the CEO that made Google what it is, Eric Schmidt. The reason he got his job, or one of the primary reasons, was because he had Burning Man on his resume, and the Google the Google staff and the Google founders are all burners. So there is this really interesting interplay between Silicon Valley culture and and Burning Man. Wow, wow! And you had mentioned uh, that the Google logo, the very first one, I think it was, actually had yes. the the Burning Man as part of the original Google logo. Yes, yes. The very first Google Doodle was a Burning Man. It was it was actually they they put it up the week that they were in being incorporated as a company. I can't remember how much money was lost in their um it, it, what what they essentially did was they put the logo up and and said to all of Silicon Valley our our lawyers are going to work out the details. We're going to Burning Man because that's actually more important than working through the documents and, and all the legalese. Wow. And of course, all of San Francisco and Silicon Valley essentially yeah. uh, follow suit. Yeah, and we went on Google Earth yesterday and looked at that place, Black Rock, in, in the in the desert there, and you can see it from space. Um, you know, just the layout of it, the half circle, and where the people camp, and they bring nothing in, right? And they're expected to take nothing out. Well, as as in clean up after themselves. Um, what? And right. there's a temple. There is an actual temple. There's a there's a man that they burn at the end, and but there's a temple there. What's that for? Yes, there are. Yes, in fact, there's multiple temples that, that, that typically arise, but there is a singular community temple. And uh, this year's temple was remarkable in its size. It had roughly 900 laser-cut 4x8 sheets of plywood that, that uh, covered the, the roof line. It was a huge building. Um, what it is, is it's the heart of the Burning Man experience. It is a place where people gather, they they pour out their grief, uh, they leave notes on the walls, they'll leave wedding dresses on the walls, uh, they'll bring in uh, pictures, uh, they'll bring in photo albums, personal journals. I've watched families bring in the ur- uh, urns of the ashes of their loved ones. And so the temple is a blank slate. There's nothing on the walls when the week begins. It's just a Here's a building, and as the week progresses, it becomes a 24-hour 
uh, week-long funeral mm. of wow. sorts. And it's a place of grief, mm. intense grief. In fact, uh, they, they have uh, temple guardians, people trained to watch uh, and, uh, over, the, uh, over the, the temple area to watch to make sure that people aren't absolutely losing themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've seen it. I've wow. watched it happen. I've watched people break down. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a very sober place. Mm. Uh, you can't walk through it. Uh, with, with 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 having dry eyes because it is literally you know eighty thousand people are using this as their place of mourning and grief and mm. pouring out incredible stories of pain mm. and suffering and Mary what this tells me is it tells me that mankind is always searching for that healing they're mm. searching for something deep and meaningful mm-hmm. they're searching for a connection they're searching for peace. They're searching for answers. And when you, and when you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to be having to look for a substitute some other way. Mm-hmm. In many respects, the temple becomes that substitute for this community. And, and it is a remarkable place where you see the humanity of those involved in Burning Man. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the temple to the unknown God, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> we look at the entire event in that respect. Yeah. This is a, a, a Mars Hill experience. Yeah. It's really that Act 17 uh, opportunity. And of wow. course, we, we set up a camp there called the Camp of the Unknown God. Wow. Specifically. Wow. To, so, mirror, to mirror that, that, uh, that reality that Paul talks about in the book wow. of Acts. So you have had opportunities. People, um, do they come to you and ask questions? Uh, you've had opportunities to talk to people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, opportunities present themselves all week long. Um, we have had in the past people who have seen our sign and literally blurt out, who is this unknown God? Mm. Uh, we, we've, had, we've had opportunities, even this past, the past two weeks ago when we were there, um, we had we had different conversations that took place during the course of the week. Some of it is completely unexpected. Mm. Um, I was on top of a four-story structure and ended up bumping into a a, a Jewish Mexican man uh, from uh, Mexico City, and we ended up having this massive conversation about Psalm 51 and and David's plea to God to save him because he was completely undone, and, and we ended up like talking for. 45 minutes or an hour, maybe it was more. It was, it was a, a, an incredible conversation. It happens if you're willing to just simply engage with respect mm-hmm. and, and meet them as people. Yeah. But honestly, honestly, Mary, isn't that the way it should be wherever we step foot? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 80,000 seekers. That's just incredible. I also looked up some other festivals like Unto Burning Man. Um, this says 15 festivals like Burning Man for your bucket list because it is, it's not a music festival. It's a transformational adventure. Uh, we're talking to Carl Teichrib, Teichrib this morning. I'm sorry. Um, and, and we're talking about, uh, burners. Uh, and there are so many other festivals around the world. They're growing and growing. There's lightning in a bottle in California. Uh, that attracts 25,000. Envision in Costa Rica, 7,000. Electric Forest in Michigan, 60,000. Meadows in the Mountains, Bulgaria, that's the Eastern Europe one. Shambhala, that's in um, uh, British Columbia, uh, Canada, 15,000. Midburn in Israel, in the Negev, 10,000 people. It's a regional burn. Another one, Rainbow Serpent in, <laughs> what a name, Victoria, Australia. 
uh, 15,000 people there. So this is something that people are seeking out around the world. They are lost and they are seeking. And it'd be easy. Oh, here's one other one. Wonder Fruit in Thailand, 20,000 people. That's a huge Burning Man of Asia, they called it, and then Africa Burn. Um, right. People are, you know, they're seekers, right? Like you said, that's the way we have to look at the people who do this because it's so easy to react and say, well, this is just the dumbest thing. But it's it's not because this is how people are manifesting their confusion about the world and who they are and where they fit. And so, right. like you do, I love how you do this because you are looking to respond and not react, right? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I did this year was I conducted a worldview surveys. Uh, just to, to try to get a, a better handle on where they stand regarding past religious experiences, uh, where they are presently, some of their worldview positions. Uh, and in doing the surveys, I haven't had a chance to go through all of them yet. I, I, I did over 300 surveys, not as many as I was hoping. I was hoping to try to, to knock out about 500, but my goodness, it's such a uh, a crazy event to, to even to attempt to do surveys. Yeah. Nevertheless, one of the things that, that, that you know strikes me as I'm going through it is how many people will mark down that they were past Christian, and mm-hmm. now will mark down things like Buddhist, Hindu, Islam, New Age, transhuman. The list is long. Pagan. Wow. Some of them. I'm, I have a survey right now in my hand. Uh, the fellow was past Christian, and he has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven positions that he is claiming to hold in terms of his religious perspective, everything from Taoism to pagan, from agnostic to esoteric to Judaism Mm. to Buddhist. And, Mm. and, you know, what this tells me as I'm looking at the data, and again, I haven't had time to, you know, to collate it yet, but just as I'm roughly going through the, the, the mountain of surveys, is that there is a sense of seeking yeah. that you can even see even with those kind of responses. Wow. Well, professional we're seekers, test, yeah. We're willing to test and, 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 and sample. Wow. Uh, we reject Christianity, but now we have to sample everything to try to find a way to fill that gap. And it's so easy to do that because you have the Internet and you can look anything up. You can you know, be a professional seeker, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so that's the one thing that... that our heart's desire, and I know yours is, that people would come to the knowledge of the truth. So you hand out these surveys, and then we only have a couple minutes left in this half, but um, you hand out these surveys, and then they just they know where to find you and return them to you? Uh, no, they fill them out right on the spot. Oh, they do? Okay, that makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, you know, it opens up interesting conversations sometimes yeah. uh, afterwards. I can't, if they want my, my position on these questions, I can't give that to them until... They fill the survey out, otherwise it potentially paints okay. the data. Okay. Uh, so it does open up uh, a conversation afterwards. Quite often, we'll have some some very interesting some very interesting talks. I bet you do. And and um, you know the post evangelical progressives are not left out of this mix. There's something called the Wild Goose Festival that's been around right. for a while, um, bringing that transformational mindset to the left side of Christianity. And in 1974, there was something called Greenbelt Festival, and it was once evangelical. And now totally progressive. I had a conversation with Carol Matriciana years ago, and she she used to be part of it when it was solid, um, but now it's transformation meets uh, spiritual formation. And wild goose is supposedly a Celtic metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Well, that's fine. Brian McLaren, Jim Wallace, I think, started it, and they're still going. And it's gotten worse and worse. When you go to their website, um, they talk about all the people they have, you know, they'll have representatives from Planned Parenthood speaking, and just the weirdest New Age stuff. 
Uh, so, uh, Carl, it's very disturbing to see this is being offered to, uh, quote-unquote, evangelicals. Right, yes. And and when you did mention that list of, of global events, so here's something interesting. Burning Man, you're right, there are regionals that take place. I was at a regional this summer uh, in Alberta, Canada, and there are, I believe I was told 108 regional events that transpire uh, now around around Burning Man, uh, including Midburn, which takes place, as you just mentioned, in Israel. Mm-hmm. And at Midburn, they burn an effigy of Adam and Eve. Oh, that's, my goodness. That's, kind of their, that's their, their calling card. Wow. That's, that's uh, I, you know, I didn't expect to see one in Israel, but I don't know why, because there's just a, a lot of liberalism there, too. Uh, we're going to take a break here in just, uh, I don't know, 15 seconds or so. So uh, when we come back, I really want to talk about um, the Parliament of World Religions in Chicago. And we want to talk about the beginnings of that. It goes way back 130 years or so. Now, you have a website, forcingchange.org. Uh, I want to really encourage people to go to Forcing Change um, because what's there is the archives of so much research that Carl has done over time Um and I understand, and I can ask I can ask you about this when we come back, that it's not a live site so much as just an archive site. So I really want to encourage people to go there and read up on all the research. Um, it's just such a blessing uh, when people go ahead and do all this research for our benefit, for the building up of the church, for our discernment. We can ramp that up in these times. So again, uh, Carl, Tykrib, Te- I'm sorry, I'm getting your syllables mixed up. I apologize profusely. Carl Tykrib is with us. Uh, Game of Gods is the book. And we will be back uh, shortly after a couple of messages with more about what's going on with this cultural transformation. Stay with us. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we're glad you're with us on September the 19th. And we have Carl Teichrib with us today, and um, hoping we can keep the signal. We're having a little trouble with that, but it's been going pretty well. He has a, a book, Game of Gods, and it's just, um, I really, really encourage you to get that. We were talking about Burning Man and transformational festivals in the first half. And Carl, I want to give you a chance to go back to that because we missed a couple of points. What else do you want to talk to us about these Burning Man type burner festivals? Well, one of the things uh, for myself as a researcher is when I'm attending, I'm looking to go to workshops and lectures and panel discussions on a variety of different topics. Uh, but this is kind of crazy this year. Um, before everything got rained out, uh, so many of the workshops I ended up attending were on psychedelics and, and moving psychedelics into the mainstream. One of the workshops was entitled Jesus and Psychedelics, and there was about 50 or so people in, uh, in the workshop, uh, and that included former and current ministers, Lutheran ministers, uh, Presbyterians, I believe it was a couple of Episcopalians and a Methodist, and then others who claimed to be Christian, others who were saying they were seeking. And it was an enormous discussion. It was basically an hour-and-a-half talk on how psychedelics are a gateway to enable Christians to feel agape love, to feel Jesus, to also have a fuller understanding of what Scripture says, Mm. 
And it was a justification for integrating psychedelics into the Christian arena. And what's important about this, and people might be going, well, this is crazy. Really? Mm -hmm. Psychedelics? Really? Well, there's a massive renaissance in psychedelics, an incredible renaissance in psychedelics, and it is being pushed very hard, not just simply the legalization of it, but the acceptance of it within Christianity. So, and this brings us now to the Parliament of World Religions, because the uh, week and a half before I attended Burning Man, um, pardon me, a week before I attended Burning Man, was the ending of the Parliament of the World's Religions. And one of the workshops I attended, that opened up right here in my agenda book, was Sacramental Plants, Fungi, Historical and Scientific Insights for the Religions. And it was full on psychedelic spirituality within Christendom. Uh, we had an uh, ordained doctor who worked at the University, at the Unitarian University Sir. We had a professor at the Center of Psychedelic and Conscious Research from wow. John Hopkins. And, and the the uh, anchor for the, for the panel session was Richard Rohr. Wow. Uh, the, Fra- the Franciscan friar and the ecumenical teacher whose influence has been extensive within evangelicalism and progressive Christianity, of course, through the Enneagram, but also through mm-hmm. his teachings on Christian mysticism and the idea that the Holy Spirit is more like a force than a yeah. personality. Uh, and, and so the conversation at the Parliament in this workshop was on how do we integrate psychedelic spirituality into seminaries, into chaplaincy services. Uh, how do we begin to bridge this and, and to bring the psychedelic experience into uh, Christian institutions? So on one hand, here we are at Burning Man, listening to, to individuals justify their psychedelics with their, their so, so-called Christianity, bringing Jesus into the mix. And then at the Parliament of World Religions, just the week before, we're, we're looking to integrate it within the institutional side of Christianity. So th- there's a trend here. And honestly, Mary, I've seen this trend begin to emerge already a few years ago. I, I do a course on, on secular and pagan trends at a very conservative Bible college. And as I've done this course over the years, um, I have had numerous opportunities to talk to young people who are saying, and this is, again, from a conservative Christian context, going, uh, people in our youth group being psychedelics. There's, there's pressure from my family members to be psychedelics. Uh, there's so much pressure from, from our schools and inside uh, my, my social circles to be psychedelics. So uh, this is something that the Christian community needs to be aware of, we need to start thinking seriously about a biblical response to this challenge. Wow, and I had and no that idea. that actually is one of the importance of going to these kinds of events. Yeah. Because now you're able to see where the sharp spear of culture is beginning to penetrate. Wow, and I had no idea about that. I know that contemplative, since the emergent church paradigm showed up, which is just more transformational, rethink, re-this, re-that. And, and so to me, the contemplative was bad enough because you, you don't really know, people, adherents don't know who they're getting in touch with. 
But this takes it even farther, these altered states, which fits right into the spirit of Antichrist. But I wanted to ask you, because we know this is not about doctrine, either one, Burning Man or the Parliament. It's not about doctrine. It's about experience. But what about demographics? Did you find similar demographics in each of these events when you put them side by side? You know, there are, there are definitely uh, uh, a more age demographic when it came to the Parliament of World Religions. The Parliament of World, world Religions brings together, at this event anyways, it brought together 7,000 religious leaders from around the world, representing, I believe, 200 and some different faith groups and, and spiritual movements and religions, uh, and, and incorporated a lot of United Nations officials, uh, officials, they're all there. Mm. It really is a blending between religious faith leaders and uh, idea, players and ideas of governance. In fact, I was at a workshop specifically on looking at the World Federation and just global governance. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk on climate change. Uh, there was a workshop with Karina Gore, Al Gore's daughter, along with... Uh, the Presbyterian Presbyterian churches, uh, one of their lead um, investment managers, uh, and also the investment manager of of largest Islamic group, and uh, uh, investors from the uh, Vatican School, and also from the Franciscan Order, all talking about how they are working within their networks to shut down, that was their words, to shut down the petroleum industry and to, mm. to economically um, undermine and bring it down. Mm. So that's the kind of conversations that are taking place. This is not just simply, you know, a, kind of a, a, you know, a big grand kumbaya, let's all just mm. sing and be happy together, but there are serious conversations. So in terms of the demographic, it's an older demographic at the parliament because it, there's more of a kind of an institutional professionalism Mm. that steps into it, okay. whereas at Burning Man, it is a, a more diverse uh, range of people, you know, people literally from around the world who are, are usually young, younger professionals. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, you, you mentioned, too, that even the G8 and the G20, and we've been watching those for a long time, they even have a religious element to them, is that correct? They, yes, they do. There is a religious, there's an interfaith forum that attaches itself to the G20. Um, in 2010, I, I was an observer at the G8, G20 World Religion Summit, where uh, religious leaders from around the world came together, developed policies, strategies, recommendations, and then took that to the G8 and the G20 political leaders and uh, offered insights and uh, influence the G8, G20 political mm-hmm. process. Wow. Well, what about... Doug? So there, is a, there is an interlock between the two. There's yeah. an interlock. What we're talking about here is really spiritual politics. Mm-hmm. And then from a political mm-hmm. angle, we're seeing it really as a cult of world order. Wow. Wow, here comes the world religion, right? Uh, what about WEF types like Klaus Schwab and Nova Harari? Um, do they uh, come to these events? Is that something that they're uh, dabbling in as well? It wouldn't surprise me. Well, there is definitely an, an interlock between the Parliament of World Religions and the WEF okay. in terms of some of the, the, the personalities, no question. Uh, you see that as well at Burning Man. Uh, this, mm-hmm. this year there was at, at a camp called Camp Mystic, uh, a young global leader from the WEF uh, looking at doing a workshop on uh, global futures. Mm-hmm. And uh, the event got rained out. There was no, you know, obviously no fault of anybody, but... Mm-hmm. 
uh, he wasn't able to, to, to put the workshop together just simply because of, of the rain, but I had attended something very similar back in 2019. So in both cases, absolutely. I mean, with, at the Parliament of World Religions, the opening ceremony, uh, we had we had video message that came through from the United, from the United Nations Secretary General. Uh, we, we ended up having congressmen. We had messages from senators. Um, at the closing, we had a, a personal video uh, uh, screening from uh, Nancy Pelosi. So this isn't just simply, you know, um, church leaders getting together. This is, this is a meeting of minds in terms of both politics and religion. Right, and a lot of mysticism too, right? There's shamans, there's sacred fire at some of these. There, so there's a lot yeah. of show, right? Um, tell us a little bit about the mysticism that actually is goes on or is performed at these things. Well, at the department, we, we have ceremonies and, and uh, uh, rites, and uh, there, there were some rituals that were done. Uh, I observed two or three of them. We had the Cosmic Mass, which probably had three to 400 people involved in it. Uh, that's Matthew Fox's uh, his oh, event. Sure. Okay. And, and, the co- and the Cosmic Mass, they actually have bread, they have wine, there's a communion, uh, and they are calling on the Great Mother, Jesus is just an office. It's, it's, it's a Christ office. Uh, and we're all engaged in a form of spiritual evolution. Uh, and it's all about seeking the divine within yourself. Mm. Very open about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's no hiding what it is. But it's also very ecstatic. It's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's definitely not something that a lot of Christians would feel comfortable walking no. into. Right, right. And these take so, place. You know, there there are these elements to it. it. It's it's not just simply workshops. There is, you could look at it this way. It's it's a form of worship. Mm. I mean, my goodness, it, they have their own priesthood. They have their own, even their own sacred writings. It's it's in terms of the Parliament, it's the Global Ethic, which is their primary document, mm. or the United Nations Declaration. It's it really has all the trappings mm. of, of being that. You know, a religion in the sense of unity in your diversity. Well, and they even have an eschatology when you think about it, too, because, the yes. you know, global warming and all this is the future. We're talking about the seven-year tribulation, but their eschatology is global warming and what will happen if we don't all kumbaya together, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, very no interesting. Question. You And you tell a story about uh, these two girls who were blindfolded. Um, a, a Hindu guru wanted to do an experiment with you. Can you tell us about that? What happened? Because that's just you know, a little on the creepy side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that was from a previous parliament. I've okay. been now to, to a few of them. Um, that that was a parliament where we walked by uh, uh, an exhibition booth and uh, a Hindu guru stopped a little group and said, hey, I want to do an experiment. And he'd put cotton balls over the eyes of his young girl and, and her little friend, uh, and then they, they put masks over the uh, cotton balls so they couldn't, you know, raise their eye, eyelids, and then wrap their whole head with scarves. You could not, you could not see through it. Um, they, they were intentionally blinded, and, and we were in their space. It's not like they're on a, a stage far away from me. No, no, no. I, I could literally get down on hands and knees and see if the girls could peek from around or underneath all, all of this dressing on their on their head. He had, uh, had all of us write on, on just pieces of paper um, anything we wanted to write. 
and they put it in the girl's hands. I wrote, I, I wrote down John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father up through me. And then the girls, when they were given the cards, each of them, in turn, would read word perfect what we put on those pieces of paper every single time, didn't matter what it was. And finally, the father uh, took one of the cards, uh, turned it upside down or backwards, and, and put it back in the girl's hands, and, and the girl couldn't read it. She was like, it must be upside down. Oh. We had a chance to talk with both those young girls afterwards and ask them the big question, how? How did you do this? And they explained that they are engaged in a very, very intensive daily regiment of yoga and have been able to open up their third eye and are now seeing from the spiritual into the physical. Oh. Wow, that's incredible. So it, it gives you an, a, a sense of the reality of, of a spiritual dimension. It's, it's not hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in these kinds of events, you, you know, there is that possibility that, that you can come face-to-face with some of that. Yeah. We did at that event. And it's good for Christians in America to hear this because we're in such a, I don't know, a, a sort of a non-spiritual culture, not like you know India. And there are other places in the world that have a much more um, a bigger grasp of the difference between light and dark, I think. And um, I think Americans mm-hmm. need to hear this sort of thing because this is very, very real. Um, Carl, in back in 1893, uh, the, the World's Fair, the exhibition in Chicago, I've done a lot of reading on that. And, and to me, it is a turning point in the culture, in, in the industrial age, and everything, and how futuristic they wanted that to be. And wasn't that the first uh, Parliament of World Religions besides? That's right, it was. The 1893 Parliament is the turning point. Uh, it, it is where you had, uh, at that point, actually a, a burgeoning social gospel mm-hmm. uh, movement, what, was, what we can now describe as the first progressive uh, progressive. Christian movement, and it really kind of flourished during the Parliament itself. And the 1893 Parliament brought into into play the idea that that the Eastern religions are worth uh, pursuing. We had Swami Vivekananda, a very famous mm-hmm. person, uh, who who was kind of like the rock star of of the Parliament <laughs> in 1893, and it helped open up this idea of, of the international mind. And from the progressive social gospel perspective. It, it justified the idea of what they described as international, a righteous internationalism, that man mm. would be now working to build heaven on earth. That is their language, mm. that we are building heaven on earth. This is a form of international righteousness, and uh, it's, uh, it's up to us to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Mm. Very interesting. Like Domin- so, Dominion so, theology. You know, the, yeah. the language, it hasn't changed that much. No. The, the intentions haven't changed. No, absolutely. And we no. even in the church, we have dominion theology. And if they actually think that we're somehow they're going to make the world better before Jesus returns, I don't know. I don't know what they're smoking. <laughs> you know, but I ain't seeing that. You know, and the NAR, they're they're pushing that sort of thing too. But you know, the Bible says we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans twelve two. But Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Very interesting juxtaposition in scripture there because transformed there is metaschematizo, a schematics or a template of another person or another human being. Very, very interesting because the Holy Spirit transforms us, but but Satan's followers transform themselves. 
So that's a very interesting thing. But I, I wanted to ask you, because uh, just over the weekend I saw someone say, you know, religion is the cause of all wars, and we'll never have world peace if you know, as long as we have religion. And so we have to have that unity. I'm sure you've heard that many, many times, but what can we say about all the atheistic uh, leaders and the causes of death? What can we say about how we can disprove that once and for all? Well, you know, it's interesting because that becomes a justification for interfaithism. If religions are the cause of war, then religions need to come together mm-hmm. to bring about global peace. And this is the sense of justification that comes from that argument. But yes, yes of course, it has I think we're about to lose you, Carl. Oh, sorry. Uh, can you hear me still? Yes, I can hear you now, yes. Okay, perfect. But so you know, we have a great test case uh, in terms of the, of the last century, which was the bloodiest century, the bloodiest time in human history. And when we start tackling and, and unpacking the wars of the last 100 years, I'm sorry, it doesn't fit the definition of mm-hmm. cause by religion. Mm-hmm. World War I, World War I was not religiously motivated. It was not mm-hmm. a religious war. The Russian Civil War wasn't. Neither was the Second World War. Neither was the Chinese Nationalist War. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, in fact, in, in page 401 to 402 in the book, I actually have a list of atrocities and wars above 1.5 million that took place in the last 100 years. And you are hard-pressed to find it as a classical religious war or genocide mm-hmm. in any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. North Korean War wasn't. Uh, Vietnam War wasn't. The list goes on. So we, we have this, this argument that religion is the cause of war. But the reality of it is it's, it's a far more complex um, it's a far more complex situation than just something that simplified. Right. It, it's, it's, a, it's a very simplified, easy, non-answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to argue that, and it, it gives them an excuse to rebel against God anyway. I mean, people are looking for an excuse to believe what they want to believe. Um, but the religion of the future, of course, you know, is going to be universal. We'll have the Antichrist, the false prophet. Um you know, all humanity, all all kindreds, all tribes and tongues, those who dwell on the earth. And uh, I guess I'm thinking of a certain tower in Genesis. Um, are you thinking the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we are building that tower. Yeah. Uh, interesting, because at Burning Man this year, we had a 60-foot-tall ziggurat known, uh, or called the Chapel of Babel. Wow. Wow. Yes. So we are building Babel. Yeah. I mean, we did it symbolically at Burning Man, and, and we did it institutionally at the Parliament. Mm-hmm. Yes, we want, need to have that world peace and climate change, and all the causes are coming together at once, Carl. I've never thought that I would see so many things that I'm seeing come together. Um, we have about five minutes left. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, either Burning Man or Burners or, or the World Parliament or things that you've seen in Chicago? Um, how many times have you been to this in Chicago? Okay, so so the event, the, the Parliament of World Religions has taken place in different cities. Uh, this this time, obviously, was Chicago. The very first time, 1893, was in Chicago. Okay. And then when they did it again in 1993, it was Chicago. So Chicago has a really important part to play in the okay. Parliament experience. Yeah. But during COVID, 2021, they had a virtual Parliament, and it was well 
well done, 500 and some workshops, 3,000 participants. Uh, then I attended the 2018 and 2015 departments, and of course I was at other interfaith events before that. So what, what this is all pointing to, Mary, is this desire for man to build heaven on earth, this desire for man to be gods in our own lives, uh, and, and I think as Christians, we need to recognize that this is an alternative salvation claim, mm-hmm. and then no longer be afraid of what this is, rather use this as, as an opportunity to be able to say, no, actually, uh, allow me to have a conversation regarding uh, the, the salvation claim of Jesus Christ. And, I mean, we do that at Burning. We also do that at the Parliament. We've had those kind of opportunities there as well. So. It's doing research, but it's also doing research with the purpose and, and the intention, mm-hmm. too, that you want to engage. You want to engage as truth-tellers, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So, honestly, you don't have to go to the Parliament or Burning Man. Uh, wherever your feet are, that is where your ministry is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that's a great way to put it. Um, Carl, also ecumenicalism in American churches, is there an, a conscious, I guess when we look at progressivism, there sure seems to be a, a conscious effort to bring the evangelical church. They're not just coexisting, progressives aren't. They, they want to um, guilt the church into accepting all the lifestyles and that sort of thing. So are they, are they actually infiltrating evangelical churches uh, to bring about the social justice and the community mindset? Oh, absolutely! In fact, in 2019, one of the workshops was all about how to how to um, approach and integrate yourself into uh, evangelical churches, exclusivist churches, so that uh, you can begin to, to exert that influence and to bring them into the interfaith mindset. Mm. So we're actually actually targeted. Um, hmm. One interesting point regarding the Parliament is how the language has changed within the interfaith movement. We went from being fundamentalists to being exclusivists, mm. being extremists. The language in 2018 was we are now supremacists. Wow. The language at this parliament was very telling. Evangelicals and conservatives are now authoritarians. Mm. That was the language. Every day I heard it. Every day. Well, persecution's probably coming. Yeah. That's my guess. To me, that's a very, very telling uh, change in the wording. Because those other those other labels like fundamentalist or exclusivist, we can solve the conversation. But when you when you engage in language like you're a supremacist or you're an authoritarian, or I know in one of the workshops that Don Deneau attended, the language of you're a terrorist came into play. Uh, at this point, you're actually beyond really having a, a, a proper, responsive, and responsible conversation. Um, at this point, you know, the lines are pretty black and white. Yeah, yeah. It's coming like a freight train, isn't it, Carl? We're so thankful really that you, you joined us today, and, and I know there was some signal issues, but I think things went okay. Uh, forcingchange.org, that is Carl's website with his archives of all his research. He's been doing this a long time. Started out as a researcher with Gary Kai, I learned. Uh, so visit forcingchange.org. Also, the book is Game of Gods, just a lot of research there. Also, what I mentioned uh, at the beginning, there is uh, a prayer and worship event at the Brown County Fairgrounds on Saturday to come against the NEW Pride event. Saturday, 11 a.m., SOS, Saving of Souls, Rescuing Kids from Grooming and Evangelizing the Lost, Speakers, Music, Prayer Time. And like I said early on, it uh, it's great to see people pushing back against the dark. And if you cannot be there, 
um, just pray for everyone involved. Pray that God comes against these sort of things. And uh, prayer, prayer does things. So again, thank you, Carl uh, Tyker. We're so um, grateful for your ministry. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks for joining me. Andy Woods on Thursday, J.B. Hickson on Friday. Have a great day on purpose.